So yeah, so episode 26. Episode previously, 20. uh, previously on Dystropia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that the last two we of them started. We with were you. in the car. Yeah. We were in the car. The doors were welded shut. <laughs> we were going over the cliff. Yep. <laughs> and here we are. I like that you started this episode with so yeah as well. It is. It's like you're kind of like shaking <laughs> your hands. I don't even realize get, I'm doing get, it. Getting ready. <laughs> It's like you finding a note, me, 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 me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, uh, we, so we made this. I don't think we actually made it on, on podcast before. But I did say to Johnny before that, there, there was the two things that I thought we should name the podcast. This I might have mentioned this previously, but it was, uh, spoilers obviously, mm. was the was one of them, because we always say that at some point during the show. <laughs> yep. And the other one was the fact that I, 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 it's a verbal tick. I don't realize I'm saying it. Um, and I go so uh, so yeah, and then I'll, I'll say something. Well, and I I think it's because like I, my speech wasn't great when I was a kid, and it was just because I was going to think of stop and think what you're going to say before you say it. Yeah. So I want to start the sentence, but I'm putting it in order in my head, so my my mouth just says this as a kind of a a cue, an auto cue into it. Like it. Uh, it's just weird. It someday we'll put together a supercut of all the so yes, and then me throwing my head back and laughing or whatever it is. I, every time I'm scrubbing along when we're editing stuff, there's always a couple of shots of me just like with my molars in view where I'm laughing away at something. <laughs> the I, I, the thing is though, it's like I f- I feel kind of bad now that I'm conscious of it because when I was in second year in college, mm. we had a lecture and she was quite good, but she had a verbal tick. So when she'd be talking, she'd keep on going okay, and it didn't matter what tone her voice was at when she, she would always drop to that okay deadpan low and then continue in whatever her original um trade of thought was yeah so she'd be talking and it's like and in this you know okay we see that it's this he's guys he's so emphatic okay about what he's doing and, like, <laughs> and it, it became hypnotizing and we used to we used to basically take bets before class on how many she'd get to, and I'd keep track during class because it was the only way I could stay awake. <laughs> so my second year notes for that class is just a page with a lot. It looks like a prisoner's wall. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's just a the lines four vertical across. lines yeah. slash four vertical lines slash, and it's it's like like she got up. To, I think the record was three three hundred and seventy something in, in one in one like two hour lecture. Astounding. So I was. Yeah, keeping it and like and when when the guys first realized what I was doing, the guys sitting around me, the first one I think it was like the second or third class, and they realized what I was doing. They start cracking up laughing, but they're trying not to laugh because we're in the middle of class. Yep. And then like the next week, someone else would have a, a pad as well, and we'd like compare scores <laughs> in case one of us missed one because we zoned out for a minute. Amazing. Yeah, that was it. That was my um I, I, I shouldn't say who it is because it's uh, it was someone who's a I teacher now I bet you no well no, this is a lecturer like no, oh. no the person like, the, the, the lecturer in class was the person who was doing this like, yeah, the, yeah. the person who's doing it beside me now yeah I don't know what he's doing he's, it's something delinquent anyway but no um, but I mean like I, I passed her I, I passed her class so it helped me pay attention I'm pretty sure you did I say, okay I did okay yeah, yeah. so uh we haven't mentioned yes. it yet, but this is... We had done a cliff... Yeah, we did a cliffhanger, and then this yeah, is our one-year anniversary. Yes. We started Dystropia yeah, so a year ago. Uh, so we're shutting it down. Thanks yeah, for absolutely. In, this is this is not uh, been the cash cow <laughs> I thought it was going to be. This has not been... 
Uh, no, uh, I, I, now that we're a year, and I think we should uh, we should look at um, really really cashing at this stage. As you can see, I started making um, got my got my dystropia hat, got the merch going. This is what we're going to be doing from now on. So yeah, we got that get that shop going, and also uh, something that a lot of podcasters don't do. I think we should branch out into cologne because yeah, you know, they're they're selling some kind of crazy stuff out there. Smell of a podcaster. I think that's what people really really want. Also, one thing I find is that like um, one or two people have said that we've mentioned stuff here that then when they're watching film or TV or they're playing a game, they start noticing stuff that we've mentioned before. And I think it's like that's that's kind of cool that we're actually pointing stuff out that people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. But sometimes, you know, like there's this whole etiquette of when you're in a cinema, never turn and talk to the person beside you. Mm. Like if there's something happening on screen, particularly like yeah, like it's one thing if it's at a dead spot. You know what I mean? Like sometimes films just have these lulls between like one scene where there's like something dramatic happens and then it lulls you into the next scene as a kind of a give, give the viewer a moment to recover almost. Mm. And you, then you can turn to someone and go like, oh, and you, one quick line, they uh, yes, no, they laugh, whatever, and then you go back to it. And that's not too disruptive. I appreciate people doing that because you're going to see this. It's a film, exp sorry, it's a group experience for a lot of people. Yep. So I figure we need something that's like non-verbal. It's not going to light up in the cinema because that's not like again that's bad form mm. so i was thinking that we could do dystropia brand clackers do you remember the old clackers like the two balls on on, on two plastic balls on sticks and you put them over your head and you just shake the stick <laughs> out and these things will whack off each other I, I, yes just to let just to let know other people in the cinema that you know oh oh that's a trope guys that's, that's something i've seen <laughs> yes that um, would be amazing yeah, I, I don't see what could go wrong with that like i mean you're not taking out your phone your phone is turned off they do. You're not speaking to anyone. Plus, it's something you can use even if you don't know anyone else in the cinema. <laughs> you can still put it out and you don't have to turn around and go to the person next to you, but, but you don't know me and I don't know if your sense of humor lines up with this, but uh, isn't this a bit funny, cause That takes too long. Just whip out the clackers and just fucking go to town and you'd be great. So you see someone do the superhero one knee landing that would shatter their knee and then you just out the mm. clacker. That's the, you're going crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what what could go wrong? What you need what is could go wrong. people lining up like little little rows of clackers where three people clack at once and one person is kind of looking around shifty going, Oh I didn't get that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I mean I I, I I can't see a downside to it, yep. to be honest. I'm completely sold. Yeah. Uh, notable tropables. Notable tropables. So we're we're talking about reboots and Se uh, sequels and, and, and sequels and kind of spin-offs I, I thought we mentioned the spin-offs because most of them never take off so I didn't want to dedicate an entire episode to them Yep. so it's just something that we can just kind of mention because it occasionally pops up occasionally it works well Yep. I mean um, Mork and Mindy was a spin-off uh, Frasier was a spin-off mm. so you know there is good ones but most of them aren't there are good ones and I, I was trying to get the earliest notable tropable in yet before we even mentioned what we're actually doing <laughs> Uh, so our no our notable tropable for the episode is that sequels get a subtitle. So I'm gonna pitch. We either go for dystropia two, trope harder, or we just whack an or word on the end. So dystropia, and then either reckoning, revelations, rises, return of the blank, revenge of the blank, rebirth, reborn, redemption, reloaded, requiem, resurrection, or retribution. Just stick one of those on the end. So. Dystropia rises. Dystropia two electric boogaloo. That that would work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I started that bit as a joke, but once I found out how many sequels have an or word afterwards, I, I figured there must mm -hmm. be something in that. 
Yeah, it, it's. I think it, it's something to do with uh, phenome sound. So phenome is like a, a specific, uh, a sound, not necessarily a letter. So mm. T is a letter, H is a letter, but TH the th sound is a phenome. Mm. It's a it's a frictive phenome. Like so, there's this whole thing with languages and stuff, and animators learn it for like, uh, lip syncing and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think it might be one of the the shortest ones. So it, um, so when you say the name of something, beginning with the the or sound, the r, it brings you straight into the next word. Like it flows better. It also now, people might not be aware of that when they're doing it, but it's that, that, that's why it's it, it, like these things kind of they flow. Mm, it's a good point. Something with a, a B or a P would be too percussive and kind of would would separate stop for a second yeah. yeah 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 it also it doesn't roll off the tongue as easy like. it also gives the the trailer guy something to growl about where it's a redemption yeah in a world <laughs> um so yeah we, i mean i'll think about it during the episode we, we, we can see what we can come up with by the end of it mm. Um, this is another thing Johnny's just kind of sprung on me. He, he doesn't consult me on any of this. Just, actually, I should say that. Like, that's something we kind of said at the very start, uh, the very first episode, and we never really explained again afterwards. We don't consult each other on what we're going to talk about. We just pick the topic. Yeah, pretty much. I like, go off and pick my stuff. Johnny goes off and picks his stuff. The script is about seven lines each, and it's basically just we've, we've, film, we've blah, the year, <laughs> this game, blah, the year, maybe the studio, or something like that, Like just for our own... Like um, for our, our own uh, reminder, essentially. I mean, we're we're fairly dedicated to this premise. We're now continents apart to make sure that we can't accidentally like see what the other person is going to be working on or anything like that. I, I, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so movies. Um, we'll start with movies. Um, so what's your trouble? My notable trouble for movies. Uh, my notable trouble is one that we were uh, we had a long conversation about one time, which is the stealth sequel. So this is one. Did, yep. Yeah, go on. Uh, it is one that you perhaps go into the cinema not exactly knowing that something is a, a sequel to something else maybe it's you think it's within the same movie series or maybe you have no idea at all um, so I went in I don't I don't like watching trailers and stuff like that I knew that Prometheus was by uh, Ridley Scott and had something to do with aliens but uh, oh wait, wait wait spoilers obviously <laughs> this spoilers, this is going to be a spoiler heavy little section um uh, so stealth sequels uh, Prometheus I think was a very bad stealth sequel it randomly at the end tried to do some weird little bit to bring it into the aliens universe or ex explain the birth of aliens which made no sense if you're going to be doing if you're going to do something like this try to make it so that you know it doesn't completely undo years of canon or makes no sense or basically ends on a plot hole um, the one that very, is very famous recently and there's a new movie coming out so I don't, I don't think it is too much of a spoiler now is Split which is one went to see in the cinema, uh, and at the it, it is um, the pair of us went to see it, and I had to convince you to go and see it, and you were like, I don't know, it looks kind of cheesy, and I'm like, trust me, it's great, mm. and you went and you're like, this is pretty fucking good, mm. and I was like, it was really good, and it, it, there was something joyous about that um, reveal. There was something fantastic about the fact that uh, first of all, it's an M Night Shyamalan movie, so he yes he had to do his twist. So just just so it's that simple a twist that it's not that you know. Oh, they were in an alien zoo all along. It was, oh, this movie that you were watching is a self-contained movie, but also there's slightly more to it. And I was like, thank you. That's a very nice twist for me. Uh, but it is yeah. it is a stealth sequel to Unbreakable, and now it looks like there is a, a third movie coming in that sequence. Um, and I'll give a very quick shout-out to Final Destination 5, which doesn't didn't need to be a sequel to any... It didn't need to be a stealth sequel, but it's a stealth prequel. 
uh, where at the very, very end of the movie, it is revealed that all these events took place before the very first movie and the last two surviving characters get on the ill-fated plane which starts the first movie. Um, there's no reason for them to do that. And apparently when they were writing it, it was very difficult because it was, it was set so early in the 90s that no one would have had mobile phones. They had to make sure the technology was old enough that it would make sense. I just want to wanna tip my, my branded hat to them to say, well, well done for going to that effort for Final Destination 5. Fair enough. Um, I, 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 um, when you mentioned Alien Covenant, I was. Uh, that was during the week. I'm not yeah. Kevin, Prometheus. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Prometheus. I was biting my finger. Um, you say that they they kind of arbitrarily like it was only dropped in at the very end that this was related to the aliens. Yep. But even before it came out, he had said, "No, this isn't a direct prequel to Alien. Mm. There's a few films in between. This thing evolves." Yes. And then people went, you know, that doesn't look like a xenomorph. And it's like, yeah, it, it, the man has said, this is not a direct pre- oh, this is stupid. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I can, so, yeah, it's it, it's just... As uh, as big a fan as I am, yeah, I'm not going to... I don't watch trailers. I'm not going to seek out the director's uh, watching advice before I go see a movie. If, if at the very end, the lad comes out and he's pink and I'm like, oh, no, what? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean that's fair. It's just a, it's a weird one. It's from like depending on how much you've immersed yourself in the lore and the knowledge. Mm. It's either like it's it's like I get this feeling that like a lot of um, it's in a weird way. It's like a lot of Star Wars fans are like that about like the games mm. where certain things would be referenced in the games that's never been mentioned in the films. But if you've read the extended universe books, which are no longer considered canon, but in a lot of the nineties games and the early two thousands, they were. Yeah. And people are like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's a reference to whatever. And then it was just this, you know, it was like an extra award. But with Alien, I think, like, I, for me, when I read the books, the way it was explained, and it's still kind of only hinted at, but it's mm. still kind of like, they, these are an uncaring race. They care nothing for humanity, and they, they actually want to wipe them out. And this was developed as a weapon to wipe them out. And they're just, they don't give a shit. Mm. And, um, like, the, that's kind of about as far as they explain it. And then it's weird, so because then I kind of filled in the details myself mm. as a reader in the film. When you show it to people, and people are like, "Well, I don't understand," and then they just, like they showed up for for aliens, mm. and they're, they're they're getting something different. You know what I mean? I think if it had been a case of if he had it like that, if he had done a stealth sequel where uh, a stealth prequel where he had never mentioned it was related to it, he's just like, "I'm doing a new sci-fi series." Yeah, yeah. But because he had to have fucking Wayland in it, yeah, and all the rest, it was like, yeah, I don't think you needed to do that. It was. I think you could have left that out, or you could have had him had him not mentioned up until the point where he's revealed. It was a kind of cake and eat. And then it could have been, yeah, because yeah, people would have been like, "That shit looks awfully familiar." Oh, maybe this is a reference to the Alien universe. Well, that makes sense, and yeah. I don't think people would have been too freaked out. And then they get the you get the whole thing of Wayland comes in and they're like wait a minute mm. and then you see like it goes inside the ship and you see the engineer and you're like oh holy shit this is tied in and then people are like it's it's not a it's not you haven't built the hype off of it you're just kind of like oh I want to see where this goes yeah yeah you know what I mean uh, um, on the on like there's one go on oh go on no go on go on go on, go on. Uh, no I was gonna I was gonna say on the subject of um, kind of fan theories and fans filling in the blank uh, just doing a bit of research for this episode um, I learned something which I'm sure I knew years ago but kind of came back to me and um, I was saying well obviously sequels are always like the famous joke is that they're always terrible that especially in movies that the sequel ruins the original if there's a, a good movie 
you know, a sequel is bound to happen yeah. and it's going to ruin stuff. I was like, well, like let's... Terminator 2 or Godfather 2, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, or Aliens, which we were just talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the, I was like, well, let's talk about the bad ones, obviously. And then the good ones, you know, and, and the ugly. And I was like, wait a minute. Hang on a second. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I think that's a sequel. <laughs> and is, I, yeah. I looked it up and it's in the, it's in the, uh, the fistful of or the few dollars more um, kind of trilogy. Yeah. So fistful of dollars. And then a, a few dollars more is considered like just this amazing sequel to an amazing movie. Like it, it set yeah. up this whole genre. And then <laughs> the good, the bad and the ugly. At the very end, the man with no name puts on a poncho that is this poncho he's wearing at the very start of the very first movie. And the fan theory yeah. is that it's actually a stealth prequel, that it is one that goes back to the very start and you can just watch them in the loop when these guys are in purgatory and i was like that that is a really pleasing fan theory i don't know why it just is a very like all the guys their names change in different movies people characters change in different movies but they're just stuck in this weird loop i really really like that it's often been like that though i mean like so western films some people who know westerns will be like duh obviously Mm. and other people who know westerns just won't believe me when i say this but westerns are all based on samurai movies. Yeah. They were all heavily influenced by samurai movies. Absolutely. Um, Akira Kurosawa, go back and watch his Seven Samurai. His Seven Samurai, his um, his fucking, what you call it, Yojimbo and stuff like that. Like, mm. Yojimbo was essentially like the Clint Eastwood, Mam, uh, Mama No Name stuff. Like, that's, the, 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 that, that's what it is. The Wandering Stranger comes in and helps people out. They even have the showdown of High Noon with the saloon doors and the tumbleweeds. That's all taken from samurai films. And... Um, there's a um there's a whole thing in those films that like this detail that those tales were often um from like going back hundreds of years Mm. and the tales were told and they never mention a name it's the 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 hero uh, it yeah one other the example we mentioned before was uh rashomon Mm. where it's like the samurai the wife the thief and, and and it's it's mentioned they're they're just called by their title mm. so when they, they update it um they they have to give them names and they'll just pick names and the names can change because it's it doesn't matter mm. it's the role of essentially the good the bad the ugly that's the thing it's the it's their role it's not their role is important not their name yeah yeah so i think that's part of why the names would just change up because like the early directors would have been like yeah no no we're, we're totally on board with this mm. But and like we can change up the names and it doesn't matter, mm. you know. So it's all about just telling the story of these characters, or of these character archetypes and how they progress. That'll that actually so, will yeah. that'll fit into something I'm, I I want to talk about later. But uh, in the meantime, what is your what is your movie choice? Uh, the Born Identity. Really, the Born Identity's a reboot. The Born Identity's a reboot. Is that is that the one where they change the actor or? No, the very first one with Matt. That's Damon. Legacy. The very the. The Born Identities reboot. Hold on, let me guess. Mm-hmm. Long Kiss Goodnight. Nope. With uh, oh, who's in the Long Kiss Goodnight? Because the Long Kiss Goodnight is about a, a covert. Gina Davis. Gina though. Davis is about a covert. And Samuel L. Jackson. A covert ops operative who forgotten gets her memory wiped, and then Brian Cox, the actor, has to come in. Not the um, Manchurian um, uh, space dude, has to come in. Formerly and, of Dereen. Yes. Uh, has to come in and tell her about her past and about the secret yeah. uh, organization that was fucking with her head. And that's exactly what happens in The Born Identity. I like your choice. Well done. So The Born Identity <laughs> is a, a 1980 book written by Robert Ludlum. Right. 
It was then adapted into a two-part made-for-TV film called The Born Identity with Richard Chamberlain in 1988. Right. And then it was remade into The Born Identity. The long kiss good night with Gina Davis. With, with, <laughs> with Matt Damon. Yep. And it's it, I, the only reason I remember this is people were coming into the store, the video store I worked in, and Born Identity had just come out. And people were coming up and going, have you got the Born Identity? I'm like, yeah, it's in the releases. And they're like, no, I've seen that. Have you got the original one? Oh. And I'm like, I think I actually think we do. And we had it on DVD. And it was just this real weird thing of like, it was a made for TV movie. But it was, I think it's one of those series that like the original is very cheesy 80s. Right, right. Mission cop, Impossible. Cops and Robbers. Right. Not even Mission Impossible, like Cops and Robbers. Okay. And like, like every time that nobody shoots in cover, they kind of stand and point the gun. And it's like yep. almost fucking Zardoz style with the gun, the way they pose. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, you know. Whereas when you look, The Born Identity as a film, and it, it, in a weird way, um, it deviates a lot from the book. Mm. The TV series sticks more to, the two-part TV film sticks more to the book. But the by taking the premise, the simple premise and the character, and just kind of wandering off with it, it makes it a lot more interesting. Mm. Plus, I always thought that, like before the, that film came out and before it was even announced, and I never remember, remember hearing much about it in the run-up to it. I was just kind of, it, it seemed to go under a radar. Mm for me at the time and when it came out up until that point I never would have considered Matt Damon as a spy character or an action character yeah because I only knew him from stuff like Goodwill Hunting from the um, Dogma and stuff like that like, but, I mean don't you know that these uh, white men have an opportunity to do anything they want in Hollywood like this is <laughs> after after Taken and stuff came out and The Born Identity there were anyone could do anything they were just like yeah stick a gun in his hand he's fine no, no, but that was the thing. The Born Identity, more than any other film, emphasized like for me, it made spy films interesting again. Mm, that's a good because point. Because I, I'd, I'd gotten sick of this, the thing with the James Bond films, because it's less, like, less of this in the books, though much more misogynistic and racist in the books. But anyway, mm. um, in the Ian Fleming books, he doesn't go around fucking telling everyone his name. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't draw attention to himself by walking into everywhere yeah. dressed in a fucking tux. It's like. The whole, that's the whole thing with, with the whole idea of Matt Damon as Jason Bourne if Matt Damon wasn't famous you would walk by him in the street and not look at him twice mm. and that's exactly what you want out of a covert agent so, you want somebody who just blends the fuck in people don't remember Clive Owen as in the first Bourne Identity film because again he does that thing of just blending yeah. and he's one of the other agents so have you seen the original so, that this is the, the remake of yeah is it good yeah not really no it's fair enough it's okay but I mean it's, it's the whole thing of I saw it after seeing The Born Identity and I fucking love The Born Identity I think that was a great film and like people like there's certain things they kind of did right and did wrong in the mm. sequels I really liked in uh, in the second one the way um, Carl Urban never speaks English he speaks Russian the whole way through not English with a Russian accent he speaks fucking Russian mm. and I'm like that's good because he's meant to be an FSB agent Um just the little things like the fact that they're unwilling to communicate like I think it was one of the first films where they just mainstream big release films where they were like nope subtitles fuck it mm. we're not having we're not having people who aren't from a country speak in English for the convenience of our audience uh, we're, we're going to trust our audience to not be stupid that, that beautiful it, scene and it had enough star- action go on the beautiful scene at the start of a- Hunt for Red October where they zoom in on the Russian dude and then zoom out yeah, and that, that is I gotta, I gotta say that is an exception that is so well done yeah that scene is just a perfect transition that you don't even notice he switched to English for for first four or six four or five words. You're like, uh-huh. And oh hang on a minute, he's speaking in English. Yeah. It's so well done and it works and it suits. But 
the Bourne, the and that's a thriller. It's a suspense thriller. It's a constant build of something is going to happen in Red October. In the Bourne Identity, like in the first what 10, 15 minutes, he ends up kicking the shit out of two police officers in a in a park, and it takes him all of two seconds. And you're just kind of, and even he's scared of how fast he did it. And you're kind of like, okay, so we can we can, and this is immediately after a bit with subtitles. Yep. All the stuff with subtitles is seeded in between. The, the stuff going to happen. Anytime they have to do big kind of explanatory dialogue, they actually go to English. But the majority of the time, no, fuck it. Do it, do it in the native language and just throw in subtitles. If people don't want to read it, that's their own loss. Because mm. it's uh, like, I get, yes, some people are just stupid. Some people go to films and I don't like reading in my films. And it's like, I can't read over the noise of the popcorn, whatever. <laughs> it's, but like the, the majority of your audience is not stupid. So you treat them as stupid and they will get more stupid yeah. because they will engage less with the film. So have you have opinion. you seen all of the sequels of the Bourne movies? Yeah. And what yeah. what is the what is the trend? Are they trending up, down? What's the The first three I thought were just fairly consistent. The mm. Jeremy Renner one's alright, but I don't think they really needed to tie it into it. Mm. I think the fear was they were just kind of like we kinda of have to use the name and tie it into it. Because if we don't, people are just gonna constantly compare it to it. Yeah. That's probably fair. Whereas if we acknowledge it's taking place in the same universe and it's related to it, then it's like the a lot of the comparisons are automatically assumed by the person to make sense. Yeah. Which I, I can kind of understand. It's not a bad film. I think Jeremy Renner is an excellent actor. Mm. Um, he'd be one of my favorite actors at the la- like to really come to uh, like to really come to the fore in the last like eight to ten years because mm. he has a kind of it's only been in the last eight to ten years he's really become. Um, quite present and there's that film that he did recently Wind River which I would recommend to I haven't everyone. seen it it's written uh, written in and directed by the guys who did Sicario and it has Jeremy Renner in it mm. and, and what's her name um, Olsen the one who plays Scarlet Witch um, oh, I don't know her name and it's just it's she's the Olsen twins younger sister it's fuck I know this it's something Avengers related you think I'd know this <laughs> um, but like she's in it as well they're the two leads in it okay. and uh it's like I, I think Sicario is the best film of the last 10 years like hands down the best film made in the last decade um, so that, like, immediately starts writing homework them. for self alright yeah, how have you not seen Sicario I, I don't it's, I don't watch no I yeah so, like you're actually perfectly positioned to watch it Sicario is on Netflix and you have a fucking projector screen in your house yeah you, so you should like, just sit down and, and just absorb that film I'm gonna write Johnny to watch and then letter S, cross that out. Letter C, cross that out. Letter S. S-I-C-A-R-I-O. The sequel <laughs> is in cinemas this week. Really? <laughs> All right, yeah. I'd better watch it then. Um, but no, Sicario, best film of the last 10 years. But mm. uh, Jeremy Renner and Bleak River. Oh, sorry, Wind River was quite good. It's a very bleak film. Sorry, that's just why that popped into my head there. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, it's, the, it's like he's just a great actor. And I thought that he his performance made up for some of the kind of flaws in it it's definitely the weakest of the four of them mm. but they're all better than the original one the original is just kind of all right like you can te- definitely tell it's made for tv yeah. i just think it's interesting that they they managed to like the made for tv one stuck to the book didn't do great the born identity uh film proper like cinematic film mm. took the basic premise of it and deviated severely and it did really well and it kind of just to mention it as a nod the similar thing though it's more of an adaptation than a reboot and the same thing happened with the V for Vendetta film yes. a lot of people didn't like uh, or like they, they're just kind of like oh, the Bukowski's only had one good film out of them and they just kind of snubbed their nose at 
uh, V for Vendetta as well. But V for Vendetta is a really, really good film. I think it's, and it's I think drastically it's, different to the uh, to the book. I think it's fairly established that people are happy with V for Vendetta. I think that's a. I think I think people have come around to it. I think at the yeah, time, it's probably a good were, way. Oh, this is too different. Uh, like the, the fans of the book went in because like V for Vendetta, the novel is fantastic. And yeah. people go in and they watch it and they're like, well, this isn't the book. And it's like, no, but they took the influence and made their own story and made a good film. They yeah. made it like this. The V for Vendetta f- book story was never going to be tellable in film. And in so fact, they did like doing they, their own one and they still get the essence across of what it's yeah. about. They, they used sound and visuals so well. The changes that they made was to really, really make it a punchy movie. Like the dun, 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 dun. Uh, the, oh, the, yeah, yeah, but, but the way they my used, favorite scene in the whole thing is the... Um, is the the bit where Natalie Portman goes up to the roof and she walks out and the way they use the rain and the contrast of her mm. being reborn in the rain and him being reborn in fire and I just like that whole scene and I'm like like that like that's barely touched upon in the actual books his mm. origin it's hinted at and uh, Mr. Finch's character basically goes on a drug trip out in the abandoned camp and then just kind of hypothesizes what happens mm. But like it's never directly really referenced, um. So the way they actually like kind of solidified the origin, then made you doubt it, then reinforced it. But yeah. she's like, "Oh, this is all a lie." And he's like, "No, I I found that the way you found it. It was passed to me." And and then you're like, "Oh, okay, so this was actually happening." And then you have the the dual rebirth thing, mm. and I just thought that was like such a strong showing. There's so many good parts in that film, and it's and I, I like that it's it, you know okay, it's not a reboot, it's an adaptation, but it, I I still think it um. It shows that you don't have to stick to the book to make something good. You can take yep. the intention of it. And I think that's a very important thing even moving forward for reboots in general. They don't have to stick to the original. Mm. If you want to reboot a film, take the premise of the film and tell your own version of the story. Or if you like, the, if you think the characters are interesting and you want to see them in a different scenario, do that. Don't be beholden to this existing story that you're just going to constantly get compared to. That uh, You know what I mean? That actually is a... It's a- Good point to kind of um, for me to talk about the movie I was looking at. Um, mm, I want to. I'll talk about one movie series and then I'll talk about a, a sequel I'd love to see. Uh, so yeah. the movie series I was uh, thinking about today because I, I was there's um, I watched Jeepers Creepers three recently, and it is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It is. You're wasting your time watching Jeepers Creepers three. You haven't seen Sicario. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Do you know what? You're, you're starting to slide since I left. <laughs> There's something going on here. Uh, so, so the Jeepers Creepers, the original, the dude who wrote it, he wrote and directed it, and like this was his mm-hmm. baby. And the first one was a very good movie. It starts with the the two kids on the road, and then this big yeah. scary truck behind them. And it feels like a couple of movies put together. Um, it feels like a couple of of kind of good uh, horror premises, kind of all being not quite shoehorned. They do kind of work into the same movie. Uh, but the the way the guy wrote it, he had a mythos for this monster. So there's this horrible monster that um, is this sentient winged creature that is very mechanical. It builds contraptions. Um, it's like a demonic jigsaw. Um, and it, it has to wake up every, I think it's 27 years or something like that. Um, a very long period of time. Um, and it has to feed, has to eat a certain number of people. It has to eat people's eyes and body parts and everything to... to kind of regrow itself and um, replenish its body. Uh, so this guy wrote it, but he had it that it only wakes up for a week at a time, seven days, and then um, it has to go back to sleep. So the, basically it'll do this killing spree and there's police who have like, 
I've been following this and can't think it think it can't possibly be the same serial killer. Like he has this whole mythos and it's just hinted at in the in the first and second movie. Uh, but by the guy, he finished the first movie, the main characters are dead, the demon is victorious, and the guy ends it there and he's like, done. And he goes, what I don't want is sequels. I, this always happens with horror movies. that Like, you get Freddy, or you get Jason, or you get some horrible monster, and then everyone goes, ooh, that was amazing, let's just cash in and do sequel after sequel. So goes, That's why I wrote it, that he sleeps for 27 years. He does his seven days, and it's done. And then they started offering him more and more money, and he's like, ah, I don't know. And he's like, well, I have to fuck up my mythos. And the guys were like, well... He wakes up for a week. And he's like, yeah. How many days did you get through in the first movie? And he's like, maybe four or five days. He goes, it's the same week then. And he's like, okay. So you go, you got two days left in this second movie yeah. to make it. And it's the one that takes place where the, the kids are all on a, a school bus that breaks down. Uh, it's all the football team, I guess. Um, they're driving through um, America and they break down kind of in nowheresville. And they all go up on the roof and start sunbathing. It's all... Supple young male body, so very. It's a, it's a good movie for that. It's a lot of. A lot it's of, sorry, I'm just having a look at it now. It's it feeds. I think it's it feeds for 27 days or something like that. Okay. And then, and then it, it has to sleep it, for years. It sleeps for 23. Okay. Um. So yeah, because the start of the second one is on the 22nd day of feeding. Um. That's when it starts off. So they basically have a very limited amount of time to make this sequel. Um, and they do yeah and it comes it comes out every 23 years every 23 23rd spring for 23 days right um, and I just thought that was such an amazing way to um, try to shoehorn a sequel in and then the third one came out and I just thought this was a really funny premise that the guy had to try and get all this shit done within a certain amount of time the third one ostensibly then also takes place within this same period of time because it's got his truck and it's got a bunch of other stuff so it starts with his truck being impounded where he's left that and presumably is doing like other parts from other movies uh, and the third one I was watching it just shaking my head going how can this movie be so bad what's wrong uh, the director had been brought up on charges of child pornography and child molestation and things in the meantime but still had the rights to this so made a movie on nobody would work with him he had no money and he managed to make this thing. And I was watching it. It was like a fan-made film made with six people. It is the worst thing I've ever seen. It's the worst piece of cinema I've ever seen. Um, the characters are terrible. There's one actor in it. There's like a black dude as a sheriff who's just trying his darndest to keep everything together. Um, and all the special effects are terrible. And like the the most telling... I'm looking at it now though. Like it's, it, he was convicted for sexual misconduct for a, a, with a 12-year-old boy in 1988. So they still made the oh, other two. Is this, so this is possibly something that came up during the Me Too movement or something like that. This is something that was dredged up again. That's interesting. No, because it was... It, the Jeepers Creepers 3 came out ah. uh, last... Yeah, sorry, it came out at the end of last year. But it was this whole thing of... Um, in 1988, he was convicted of sexual misconduct, um, including videotaping it. Um, he, they found child pornography in his house. Mm. He pled, pled guilty... Um, sentenced to three years served 15 months he completed his parole in 92 and then the first Jeepers Creepers was in 2001 the I, first Jeepers Creepers is fucking produced by um, by what you call it uh, Francis Ford Coppola really huh. yeah. I, uh, yeah I knew he had an involvement in it then I, I will say that perhaps it wasn't a more recent thing but it is a sign of the times that this guy couldn't get anyone to work with him um, it just it was such a, a weird one but the, the thing that is most telling to me uh, is that there's a scene where the dude, the, the monster, 
just gets out of his car and walks around the van in like broad daylight and there's something about it every other movie you know he's seen in the darkness he's hidden you don't see who's driving the car like this is a hidden character mm, he's got a trench coat yeah on, so. he's, he's always hidden and like you see flashes of him or there's a big scene where he finally puts his wings out and flies off into the sky and he's, he's gone in a second and the idea of like the horror is what you can't see the idea that he just gets out of his truck walks all the way around and like does something you just look at her going, that's just a dude, man. Like, this is, oh my, how far you fucking fallen? Just guy in a wrinkly suit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that thinking about that and how that sequel was done, uh, I would absolutely love to see a sequel to Cabin in the Woods. Because, spoilers, obviously, uh, that movie is a take-up of Western horror movies, of slasher movies, of kind of 80s and 90s slasher movies. Um, and kind With the of, to J- to J-Horror. Yeah. Well, this is it. So there's a scene in it where the the guys who work it for this um, massive company that are are um, keeping this horror movie narrative going to to prevent the end of the world. There's a scene to all of their where they cut across all of their different um, branches around the world, and you see a Japanese horror like you see a little girl in a school floating in the air in a very J horror way, and you see a couple of other mm-hmm. screens. And then the movie ends where they are unsuccessful and the apocalypse happens. The world ends and the last scene is like nearly the earth cracking apart. I would love to see sequels where they just do that 24 hours or that like amount of time. From the other, from the other sites. Yeah, and do all of the tropes from all the other ones. So they do a J-horror version of Cabin in the Woods where it is everybody's frantically ringing each other in every other branch and everyone's uh, narrative is failing. Everybody is basically around the world. Do uh, do Guillermo del Toro doing one of his um, kind of more European style ones as well. Just do all the different dudes doing one in exactly the same 24 hours and it's the cataclysmic kind of crash of every every single storyline um that's my pitch anyway yeah maybe like i think the part the thing with the, part of the reason why cabin in the woods works so well is it even took the piss out of stuff like scream mm. which in turn was already a commentary on the tropes and kind of habits of horror film mm. um plus most people going into it didn't know that there was there was not going to be a happy ending yes that this film was going to just nope the world ends and they have said they end the world specifically so there couldn't be a sequel so it's the same well there you have it it's the same thing as the jeepers creepers but yeah i think if people know that there's it's not going to be successful when they go and see the ones as in if they know that this thing is doomed for failure i don't know if as many people would go and see it or if it was would be as well received even if it was written to the same and acted to the same high standards yep i don't know if it'd work as well um it's hard to say i think part a lot of that film like how well it's done is down to the cast of like the five main friends that go away together yeah they're very much in on the joke they're very much in on the yeah and then like even like uh, bradley whitford's character and the controller and the other guy i can't remember his name those two like they work really well Mm. but i don't think it um i don't know i don't i don't feel it would uh it would have the same draw or the same appeal I just want you know. I, I I think there are enough. I think they could do different genres and have stuff that's all happening exactly the same time. I, I yeah. I don't know about appeal. This is literally they'd have to make the movie for me. Like it would be. To be fair, to be fair, it would have been actually a really good thing to have on like a special edition of the DVD. Yes, actually, that would be amazing. That you could have done these little ten minute or fifteen minute short films of the other things. Hmm, that'd be a really good way to do it. Uh, 
So because then you'd have like horror festivals doing a full thing where they'll show all of them. Yeah. You know yeah. What I mean? They'd actually show off all of them, and then the, they'd like. So I went to see Cabin in the Woods the day it premiered mm. in Ireland, and on the same night as part of its release in the IFI in Temple Bar, they uh, had a midnight screening of Evil Dead. Mm. So you know, like it, and it, like particularly with horror horror fans there, there is this kind of like an almost like a festival feeling around big horror titles coming out and they often do like oh we've got the restored print of such and such we're going to show and that type of thing yep so like that is kind of the perfect candidate to go we're going to show these are the four other sites or the five other sites because i think it's the ones you see are frankfurt tokyo um it's not london it's it might be helsinki mm. and then something else Oh, and, and Helsinki! The, the if they did a, if they did a, let the right one in as well, that'd be so good. <laughs> but I just think it'd be like it'd be really cool if they did that. You know, like if if they'd done them as maybe like ten or fifteen minute short films. Yeah. Where you show one, you show the other, you show the other, you show the other, and then you've got the film. So it's because then it's like, well, what's going on here? Because you're watching these films and you're not sure what actually is happening, and then the actual film shows you what it is. Well, if you're out there, so. if you're out there, Joss Whedon, listening in, uh, I'm very happy to do a Banshee version for the Irish, the Irish ten-minute one, where it is uh, a bunch of bunch of lads trapped in a, a little uh, clay and wattle house out in the out the bogs of Ireland with a, a Banshee rattling at the windows. What uh, What else would you have? It's it's, it's what's more. What's his name? Um, Drew Goddard was the guy who did the. Um, uh, who who wrote who directed it? Mm. Whedon produced it, and Whedon helped him write some of it, but he wrote the majority of it. And then he went on to do the Daredevil TV series for Netflix. Mm. I love those lads. Um, uh, so yeah, let's do let's do a quick one. Uh, I kind of I said this to you before that I want to do a remix we want to see because there's a bunch of stuff coming out, and I again I know that the the kind of thing is that everybody hates a remake everyone hates a reboot They're like don't do that don't do that to ghostbusters don't do that to this thing don't do that to that but i had no problem with the re- re- rebooting ghostbusters i had no problem with them rebooting ghostbusters and all female cast mm. my problem was their choice of female comedians because in that in that case the term comedian is very fucking loosely applied there are some amazing female comedians out there yeah and they didn't go to any of them for this film that's true that was my issue it was like like Chris Hemsworth is the funniest thing in that film. I haven't seen it. And I'll have to give it a look. Uh, he, he, I think it they would... basically play him up as a bimbo. Was he's it? a complete bimbo ditz, and he's the like he's the brunt of all the jokes. But he's just the funniest thing in it because he has great comedic timing. But is it not just that the original Ghostbusters was the SNL cast, so they just went with the female SNL cast this time around? Yeah, but that's not a good thing because like. Uh, it's not always it's not just oh, no, by default well you're on SNL mm. you must be good enough SNL goes through periods of being shit and periods of being fantastic and th- there's been some there's been some um, some female comedians in SNL over the years and not on SNL just on the circuits and stuff mm. like that over the years that have been absolutely unreal mm. and I would have loved to see them in a film like that but the fact that it was the, the ones that they picked I was just like I don't know I just I, I, I personally now I, I, I completely get that comedy is subjective not everybody is going to find a joke funny mm. And not everyone's going to find the same comedians funny. And, but I, I was just kind of, I was surprised. I thought that, like, I think it was more a case of the the four comedians they chose weren't, none of them were in my wheelhouse. If one of them was one that I really enjoyed yeah. their actual stand-up stuff, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go and watch this. I would at least then I know I'm going to enjoy some of it. I would. Whereas if you actually look at the comedy styles of the people involved in the original um, mm. 
uh, Ghostbusters. There is overlap, but they're all very different. I would have watched the four ladies from Girls Trip in anything if they'd given if that if they'd done Ghostbusters with that, that would have been absolutely amazing. <laughs> I loved Girls Trip. Yeah, I mean the um, uh, kind of like. The, God. Anyway, on the My on that brain thing, is farting at the moment. On that point, I, I, on, I think he could have had like Alison Brie and stuff like that in it. And I think oh, Alison Brie is fantastic. Yes, that would have been great. Shout. Um, like you see, the glow is amazing. Out there. Um, yeah. But the the idea of people being precious, the idea of people saying, "Oh, don't don't you dare reboot anything." And uh, someone gave me a really good example recently, saying, "Well, what if they rebooted Beetlejuice?" I'm like, "No, that's terrible. How dare you? Like, why why would you suggest such a thing?" And they said, "But Deadpool was really good." And that's very, very, very like Beetlejuice. That could have been... That's like a spiritual successor. And I'm like, oh my God. That is absolutely right. Deadpool and Beetlejuice are very, very similar movies. Perhaps there are a group of people out there who could have done a very good Beetlejuice. Um, the, the, I think the, the issue with doing a, a Beetlejuice reboot is that Be- Beetlejuice is not in that film for the yes, majority of the film. Yes, absolutely. That is very true. Um, but so, I don't know. With, with that in mind, uh, I'm going to... I had a quick look at some stuff that's constantly been um, they threaten to reboot I'm going to su- suggest something else instead so they're constantly threatening to reboot Akira don't do that that's a perfect movie do- they already did it they already did it with uh, it's a film called Chronicle Chronicle that's right we talked about that before um, don't do Just Akira watch Chronicle instead yep don't need to do that do Spawn Spawn is a fantastic comic book series and the original movie yes. the 90s movie was only alright and you could do something that is like orated something similar to blade something similar to v for vendetta you could do something crazy with spawn uh they keep threatening to reboot the crow don't do that don't do the crow that's fine leave the crow alone do the craft the crow's been told several times Speak, kind of speaking of all female stuff do the craft uh with all the girls from girls trip that would make me very happy <laughs> There's just a, just you mentioned quickly like reboots and and how people get pissed off at them mm. and there was we, I think we should mention that there was this stupid petition that's been started on Twitter recently to remake the Last Jedi. There's a group of fans Wait. that didn't like the Last Jedi. Which one's the Last have, Jedi? Have the last the one, most recent Star Wars. Yeah, not and they've they no 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 oh not Force Awakens, really? the Last Jedi. Yeah, yeah. But and they're basic. They basically are asking for rights to the film from Disney. Oh. And to be allowed to go and make their own version of it, and they'll secure backers. And it's like these are the people who complained when George Lucas started redoing stuff that he had previous, like had special editions of, and they're now asking permission to redo the yes. movie that they were given. And there was a there was a web comic that was posted uh, yesterday. A guy posted an open artist, and I only saw it today, and it just reminded me of it. And it's just a nine panel comic. Yep. And it has. Um, uh, like uh, I don't know all the actors' names, so it's just easier for me to describe the characters. It's like the character played Anakin in Episode One, and it has quit acting due to his bullying for a role as Anakin. Yep. Uh, the guy who played Jar Jar Binks nearly committed suicide over the backlash for Jar Jar Binks. Mm. He only posted about that the other day. He was literally back at the bridge that he almost jumped off. Jesus, what? Um, John Boyega, and it's like endured a boycott of the movie uh, movies just for being cast. Mm. Oh my God, a black stormtrooper. We. Um. The, from the most recent one, the uh, um, oh god, the Asian actress who was in Rose, Rose Awakens. yeah, the one who played yeah, Rose. Rose, and she had to, bullied she off had to Twitter, deleted her, her Instagram account due to harassment. Yeah, uh, Daisy Ridley deleted her Instagram account due to harassment. George Lucas sold his franchise because making them wasn't fun anymore. 
And then this is why Kylo Ren is such an interesting villain. He's a whiny, selfish, old-school, worshipping, angry cosplayer. And when he throws a tantrum, that's Disney saying, this is you. <laughs> Amazing. And that, like, that, that, I, like, some people are like, oh, this doesn't apply to all the fans. It's like, it's not applying to all the fans. It's applying to the people, the, bingy pe- the bitchy, wingy people who are complaining, oh, we need to remake The Last Jedi because I didn't like Rean Johnson's version of the <sighs> film. And it's like, I don't give a shit if you like Rian Johnson's version of the film. That film is, has made more money than any other film in that year. Probably more than any other film in the last three years. Like, just because a small group of people didn't like it, that doesn't mean they, got from it, they, they have a right to go and remake it. Yep. They have a right to go and fuck themselves. That's about it. <laughs> I'm not even that big a Star Wars fan, but when you're going to start pulling shit like this, just realize how much of a shit heel of a human being you are. God, that's pretty bad. Oh my God, that's so bad. Oh, fucking, yeah. <sighs> I hate it. Well, the internet was a terrible. Movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, a reboot. I, a reboot. I would like to see. Yep. Something I would like to see, kind of given a modern, kind of more up to date treatment. I'm kind of curious what could be done with films like, um, uh, what you call it, um, Brazil or mm. Razorhead and all those. I know they're very much an element of their time, but I'm kind of interested in what you could do with the scope and scale of cinema now. So could you go could, like could David Lynch get even more fucked up with a razor head? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like here's here, here's whatever budget you want. Go fucking nuts. Ah, see, there's and that. Just like, All right, that, there's the problem you know? that you said that here's whatever budget you want because Razorhead and and Brazil were made kind of by fairly scrappy lads trying to get something. I would give them a smaller budget because the total recall. Yeah, maybe the the restrictiveness breeds creativity. Yeah. When they did total I mean, recall. I, I was like, oh man, you could go crazy with that. Go really fucking balls to the wall mental. And it was just an action movie. And I was like, eh, all right. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I just, I, I'm more kind of, like there's some stories that are old enough now that it's like, yeah, kind of, I, I do want to see another one. I do want to see something mm. else. Not necessarily in the same story, this but is, in the same universe. Again, you know uh, what I mean? Fifth Element and Valerian is another example where like the universe was so amazing and awesome. And I feel like then Valerian, um, they just threw a budget at it, and I was like, ah, honestly, I'd rather, I'd rather you spend all the time, like getting the actors right, getting the world right, getting all this stuff right. Um, but Brazil, I'm super interested in. The moment you said that, I was like, oh, some scrappy young director, give him twenty million. And, and like I said, it doesn't even have to be the same story, but set it in the same universe. Yeah, have them tell us a story that happens parallel to that one, that happens at the same time. So they can at least reference it and stuff like that, tie it in that type of way. Mm. Um, I, I, again, it's just more kind of out of curiosity. I'd love to see what they would do with it. I think a, a lot of the old Gillingham, Gillingham films could do that, mm. um, like Time Bandits and stuff like that. Like, what what kind of mental stuff could you do with that nowadays? Because while yes, some of them they had to get more inventive because the restriction of the budget. There was also a restriction of technology that could nowadays be used to circumvent. The, the budget restriction like a good example is that Monsters film that was done by Gareth Edwards mm. where he did this whole thing of like he basically spent half a million on that film but he he wrote it he shot it he direct, uh, directed it he edited it he did all the special effects himself in his bedroom and all the people in the background the extras for scenes are just people in the background he didn't pay anyone it was literally he'd just get the actors to walk across the street with like uh they would be mic'd up and he'd film it mm. and it was just in a city and then he'd edit all the stuff in later and that was it's very guerrilla filmmaking but like that whole thing of he had the technology at home that he could then turn that into a fully fledged film mm. and that's how he got Godzilla and that's how they did a second monsters film and stuff like that like it was 
it, it, I get that like the whole restrictions breed creativity, but at the same time, technology also assists in creativity oh, yeah. to a degree. Now, I don't I don't like using it as a crutch, but if it's a case of we'd like to do the scene, we're not quite sure. But actually, if I if I what op- what options have I got software wise? What options have I got mm. from you know budgetary concerns? And just have a bit more flexibility. That that that's just kind of more how I'd like it. I, yeah, there's no other film that kind of jumps out as this is a must remake. Oh, and it, so, we'll we'll get on to video games later. But like the 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 technology jump between one video game and the next can make something astoundingly good as long as you keep the yeah. DNA of the first one and just expand on it. Um, I would love to see reboots doing that. I'd love to see reboots taking something that was imperfect but had like really really strong um premise or world or something and just expanding mm-hmm. on that and don't don't try to make it into something that's not but just use the the tools that you have now that's a really interesting one yeah yeah um so yeah that's me cool should probably talk about something else we've been talking about film for nearly an hour that's true uh, <laughs> it's always the biggest lump of our podcast though because so much money is invested into it it's such a tight storytelling format that you have to kind of like certain things just become more prominent with uh, the way it's done so. and I, I mean anything any tropes we talk about are nearly guaranteed to be born of film and then have come into video games and TV shows. Oh yeah, because uh, it's the oldest medium. It is. So, absolutely. Yeah. So video games. What, what's your notable? Trouble? Ah, you well, you should talk for a minute so I can cut you off. It's really. <laughs> <laughs> Am I accidentally ruining your phone? Yeah, I really. The notable. You keep you keep pausing and waiting for me to do it. I, I much prefer springing stuff on you. Uh, my notable trouble for video games uh, is something that on TV tropes is called the dolled up installment. But to me, it's the kind of this, it was never supposed to be a sequel. Um, the idea that something, video game series go on for years and years and years, and it is because you don't have actors or you don't have um, people who have to continually be in it. They're just 3D models. You can throw whoever, you can skin anything any way you want. Um, mm-hmm. It is very easy to make something a sequel to something else. Um, a really, really good example of this uh, from movies is Die Hard where every single sequel to Die Hard was not supposed to be a sequel to Die Hard. So the original... Well, Di- Die Hard wasn't meant to have Bruce Willis in it. The original Die Hard, was it not? Um, contractually, that role should have been offered to Frank Sinatra. Yes, that's right. It was an adaptation of a book, and the book was a sequel to something called The Detective. Um, but se- and which had been a film with Frank Sinatra. In it. Mm. So that, that already yeah. was supposed to so be a sequel. So contractually, they had to offer it to him first. Right. And he went, no. He was 73. Old. So yeah. Now we can go somewhere else. Fair enough. Yeah, and then they offered it to someone else. So then Die Hard came out, very popular movie, did very well, and then Die Hard 2, which was a completely separate adaptation of a novel, had nothing to do with Die Hard, and then uh, once the screenplay was written, it became a Die Hard movie. Die Hard 3 Mm -hmm. was a completely original screenplay, which was supposed to be then a Lethal Weapon 4, and then became a Die Hard movie. Uh, Live Free or Die Hard was a completely original screenplay called WW3.com, or WorldWar3.com, which is stupid. But then, of course, it got shopped around enough and became a Die Hard movie. And A Good Day to Die Hard is the closest one to ever actually supposed to be a sequel because it was a pitch for Die Hard 4, Live Free or Die Hard, that was completely rejected and then years later just resurrected. Uh, it had been shopped around by itself as an original movie and then came back to being a Die Hard movie. So the idea that something wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, um, supposed to be a sequel and then became one. Um, and I, I love that for video games because it's it's very obvious when it happens and the the main culprit is of course Mario. Every like there's there must be it must be so 
such bittersweet things if you're sitting in Nintendo and you're working on something and somebody from Shigeru Miyamoto or somebody walks in and goes, what are you doing? He's like, a tennis game. It's like, oh, a tennis game. That looks good. Uh, yeah. Would it look good, though, if Mario was doing the tennis? And suddenly yeah. it becomes... Uh, and I, I just found out that Mario Kart was supposed to be uh, something more like F-Zero. It was supposed to be like futuristic hovercraft flying around. F-Zero had come out and was a single-player game. They wanted to make a, a two-player game or a multiplayer game. And somebody literally just walked in and went, what if it was Mario? <laughs> and yeah. your cool hovercraft game suddenly became fat Italian plumbers in go-karts. <laughs> like, and he was originally a carpenter, not a plumber as well. Was he originally the, a carpenter? Yeah, that's why the Donkey Kong game, because Donkey Kong was breaking all your barrels. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and he didn't have a mustache. The mustache was his mouth. Was that what it the was? The graphics, yeah. the pixels were so bad that it looks like a mustache. Uh, I might as, um, I might as well. He was originally called Jumpman. Jumpman. Let's, and his uh, let's girlfriend go through was all the trivia. His girlfriend was Pauline, which is such an yeah. amazing name actually, for a princess. <laughs> was she even a princess? I won. I won a watch call it. I won a, a table quiz years ago when I worked in the bank. Mm. Um, over that because we got a, we won by one point. And the, the question was uh, the question we won on was uh, what was the first game with Mario in it? Donkey Kong. And everyone goes, "Oh, it's Super Mario Brothers." It's like, "No, it's Donkey Kong." Yep. There was twenty two versions of Donkey Kong, like counting different platforms and stuff, mm. released before they made the first Super Mario game. God damn. Yeah. They, uh, there's so many of these games that are released in Japan as one thing. They're called something like Ducky Ducky Panic or something like it's so it's a game, and by the time it gets to the West, Mario's on it. Um, yeah. God, it. It just feels so weird. Um, I might as well get my Silent Hill reference out of the way, which is Silent Hill Four <laughs> was a completely, uh, complete Silent Hill, Horror, Silent Hill Four, the room, the room, I believe. Um, yeah. Oh hi, Mark. They all have subtitles. <laughs> all, yeah. Oh hi, Pyramid Head. <laughs> oh hi, Bobblehead Nurse. Um, I did not flay her. <laughs> oh man. Uh, oh man, I'm so making that. Um, fantastic uh but that that is one as well that was not it was a they started making a a completely separate game and it is not set in silent hill it is set somewhere else um Mm -hmm. and you are stuck in a room and it's a it's a completely it's a first person horror it's completely different and then you end up in silent hill and uh it it, like it's it is advertised as silent hill for the room i that would have been the ultimate stealth sequel if you thought you were playing one horror game and then woke up like in silent hill you're like no as bad as i thought it is this is much worse you get to level you get to level three and the air raid siren kicks and you're like oh no oh no 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 no, no, don't do that to me and then all the walls start healing and you're like oh no i can't handle this if they if they marketed that as just a thriller game or like oh no oh my god if they marketed that as an escape the room and then you find out you're in silent hill that would have been the ultimate reveal (laughs) i want to get back in the room Ah, dude. Um, yeah yeah th- I like that kind of idea I'd love to see that type of thing but like um, for myself like, is, is, that, is that your reboot is there, is there a reboot that you particularly like liked uh, was there anything that kind of jumped out as being this is a good reboot um, no not the, I mean there's anytime a game goes to 3D any, like, I, I was of the generation where it went from GTA top down to GTA 3D from Fallout um isomorphic uh, turn-based to Fallout 3D so I got all these sequels that were functionally complete reboots they were completely different games being played in different ways so I, I caught all that stuff um, so those are those are all the games I think really fondly of go on okay I, you're probably the only person well no, you're not the only person but you're one of the few people I know who thinks of Fallout 3 fondly but okay 
Yeah, um, I, I, the thing is, I'd never played. I I barely played Fallout One or Two. Like I I remember playing Diablo and Baldur's Gate and all these kind of top down ones. Mm. But then as soon as, um, as soon as kind of Fable and stuff came out where you could run around and like do the hack and slash, it was very difficult to kind of go back and forward for me. I still love them. I yeah. still love like Dungeon Keeper is one of my favorite games of all time. But if uh, if they came out with a reboot of Dungeon Keeper now, where you spent most of your time in the dungeon doing stuff, that's it's it, it'll be House Flipper. That's the game that everyone's playing at the moment. If you could do Dungeon Keeper you, House you can, Flipper, where I can go in and like you can do that in Dungeon Keeper One. In Dungeon Keeper ah, One, it's you such have a, a, one of the very first spells you get is Possess Minion. I know, but there's such a small and part. you can take over the minion. If I could go in and start doing stuff, though, that's just for fighting. If I could go in and start like. Moving chickens around. Ah, and I see. You're you're doing. You're thinking. You're not thinking outside of. You're not thinking with portals. Basically, <laughs> for t- for digging out gold. Ah. I would because because what happens is the imps spend time when they dig out gold. They run back and they deposit it on the treasure room as soon as their pockets are full. Yeah, that's right. But if you just dig, if you just sit there and dig the whole room out and then unpossess it and then they just do a relay with the gold, but mm. the room is clear. That makes sense. So you gotta you gotta yeah. you gotta think outside the box there, man. Uh, I love Dungeon Keeper. Your dungeon is full of yogurt. <laughs> uh, um, you do your one and I'll tell you my worst sequel. My worst video game sequel. Um, the, the main ones all kind of come out of... So, okay, so I recently... And I mentioned it uh, recently. I recently played through Deus Ex, Human Revolution, and Mankind mm. Divided there a while back. Uh, prequels. Um, in no way stealthy. In no way stealth prequels, but very stealthy, I should say. Mm. Um, in gameplay to 2001's um, or 2000 actually I think uh, Deus Ex the first one and then Deus Ex Invisible War which I think was 2003 um, I really like those reboots I still like in terms of gameplay and depth I don't think they hold up to the original in terms of visuals character development dialogue systems and all mm. that type of thing yes they look fantastic and that's a reboot I really want to see I want to see Deus Ex the first one mm. just read, redone in modern graphics with modern with modern graphics modern tech modern game mechanics but you leave the story alone yeah you leave the maps the same like all that type of stuff should be said just essentially reskin and rebuild but don't change the storyline don't change like because that the storyline works so well in that game just flesh out the character interactions flesh out the world so that's that's my kind of dream one like i'm seeing them doing stuff like like uh, resident evil 2 now where they Mm -hmm. they have all this and Final Fantasy VII, I, I still, do you know what? My, I still really, really want them to stick an extra forty minutes in. Like, I really want there to be a bit in Resident Evil Two. Oh yeah, you can you, do new side areas yeah. and stuff like that's. That, I, but I still think you need to leave the core storyline the way yeah. it is because these games are so popular because people like th- there's a replay value for a lot of fans mm. in the core storyline that they know so well. Um, but in terms of actual strike kind of reboots and stuff, the ones I've liked most recently have been the Bethesda Software ones. Um, the Wolfenstein mm. series, mm. the Doom series, yeah, and they were the two games that I was the most excited for seeing at E3 this year. I'm like, we get another Doom, we get Doom two, and it's going to be like the last one. I am so that's, fucking excited. That is the because like that's a big video Doom game trope. Unreal. Actually, while we're on it, of just completely like when you when you're at a point where you think you've come far enough ahead that you just go back to the original title. It's like Doom, Tomb Raider. That's these. Yeah, that is what you. Well, uh, 
your man uh, Yatsi Kroshaw from Zero Punctuation, he refuses to pronounce them the way they're meant to be pronounced. So like he calls Doom Doom, he puts an umlaut on it, right? Um, because he's like it's because no, because because there was a game called Doom and there were several games later. He uh, <laughs> he also did the joke when uh, Assassin's Creed Origins came out. He's like, what's next? Assassin's Creed Reckoning or Revelations? And then he goes, I wrote that, and then genuinely forgot that they'd already done Revelations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it, I I. I like the level of storytelling the level of detail and the way of capturing the feel of the old games mm. of Wolfenstein and Doom uh, it really is a testament to how good Bethesda are put, are, are treating these titles because these are titles they've bought off like id software and stuff like that these were not their properties originally it's yeah, not yeah. like their babies the way Fallout and Scar- and Elder Scrolls and stuff are this is very much like we've acquire- acquired these we'd like to do something interesting with them I mean it's and the fact that they went against all the conventions of like the likes of Doom Three and stuff like because Doom Three was trying to evolve it yep. and trying to be like you know and make it more scary, and they're like that's not what the game's about. The game should have like this kind of grim, unsettling environment, but it's meant to be a fluid, fast-paced game. And Wolfenstein is meant to be you sneaking through these Nazi-held strongholds and just like butchering these assholes mm. left, right, and center, and and that's fine. And it's like. They're, they've done things like they, they constantly manage to introduce something where I'm going to roll my eyes and then they're going to change it and I'm going to go like oh okay they're not doing that or, or, or they've managed to fix that so like the, there is the great thing of in Doom and you're like okay so before I came that we knew there's no reloading there's no your health regenerating over time you have to get yep. pickups yep. and we're like okay that's, that's classic Doom and then we were told if you stop moving you're probably dead I'm like okay okay well let's see the game starts and you're stra- you're the doomsayer and you're strapped to a ch- uh, table and you break free kill some zombies and then you get this whole thing where you go to you put on your suit and this thing pops up and it's like and a guy starts explaining to you what's going on mm. and you're like oh god here we go I'm gonna have to have this fucking five minute long dialogue scene and I can't get out of this room until it's over nah he just smashes it and runs off yep. he's like I don't give a shit fuck off it, uh, that- and all the way through it he's this whole thing of like he got, he t- he's like he's disabling the argent energy thing and he takes out the filters and it's like you do, uh, it's like there that's enough don't destroy it. don't damage it and he just kind of stops and looks at the thing in his hand and then just smashes it he's like no fuck you I don't care <laughs> and they do they do it in Wolfenstein as well in Wolfenstein and, and so in the New Blood yeah um, New Blood takes place in 1964 I believe it is it's 15 years after the end of uh, or 15 or 16 years after the end of World War 2 mm. and it's like because the game starts in 47 and the World War 2 is still happening um, so it's like it's 15 or 16 years later and BJ has been in a uh, a hospital for those years he was paralysed um, essentially brain dead but through the magical power of his muscles he got better <laughs> eventually and like basically the place is attacked by Nazis they're basically clearing it out and he that kind of snaps them out of it and he bo- he kills them all and escapes yep. and he joins up with the resistance because at this point the Germans have won sorry the Nazis have won but there's a resistance trying to fight them right right and you're in your base and you're going around and you're meeting all these people and it's like every single one of them you're like oh something's going to happen to this character later that I'm meant to feel bad about Jesus Christ and they all feel like these real kind of like caricatures yeah and then something bad by the end of the game something happens to one of them and you genuinely feel really bad about it and you're like that actually worked yeah like despite how cheesy it was you you managed to build those characters in such a way that they very quickly became like even though you're, ne- very, you're never on missions with them 
because in between every mission you're talking with them or you're helping them in some way and you're just seeing them go about their lives mm. and they all have this horrific background and you're kind of like you sympathize with them in a way and then like this happens and you're like jesus christ i feel i feel bad about that and like for for essentially a muscle head you know run around and shoot the bad guy game it does it remarkably well better than most kind of deep rich story yeah, yeah. related games like so, so Bethesda just seem to have it down at the moment. Yeah, they really do. It, it feels like the people who are making it are fans of why the series was good. They're fans of the series. They like the original Doom 1 and 2. They like Wolfenstein. Yeah. Um, but they're adept at boiling down what the kind of... Yeah. The DNA of those games is. And like rather than going, well, we got to have this and this and this. is like, no, no, no. What's the, what, what's, what, what's the unique thing? What's the thing that makes it... What's the difference between so, a Doom game and, and Quake? What's the what's the one thing that makes it quintessentially Doom? Mm. What's the thing that makes it Wolfenstein? So, so so the one then that I really really hate the sequel that I that was the biggest disappointment for me in terms of video games was just Mirror's Edge two, uh, the original Mirror's okay. Edge. I really really enjoyed it. It was it was a roller coaster mm. of a game. Um, I I can't meditate. I can't sit still. The idea of sitting still on purpose just really bothers me. I don't I don't understand it. And a lot of people. It's all the cocaine, Johnny. Yeah, I mean, I really, I really should take it up. I really feel like that'd level me out. <laughs> um, but uh, people, uh, people back in the day used to really like Res. It was a very relaxing game. You fly through the air, colors yeah. happen. I don't think I could ever play that because it seems too relaxing for me. Whereas Mirror's Edge to Not me. Not the later levels. The later levels of Res, it gets pretty intense. It? Okay. Uh, Mirror's Edge to me was just I could play it to relax. It was basically. There is. You need to keep moving forward. Always be moving forward. Don't stop for any reason. If anyone doesn't know it, aim, aim, aim for the red thing. Sorry. Yes, aim for the red thing. Aim for the red thing. If anyone doesn't know, it's a parkour game. So the idea is that basically you've got to get from A to B. Um, usually in video games, you're moving from the left side of the screen to the right, or you're just plowing through corridors straight ahead. This is vertical, um, horizontal, anything. You can run sideways along walls. Anything you can do to get. Lots forward. of doubling back as well and stuff like. Mm. You'll you'll head north down a corridor and then like come out into this like big kind of like steam pipe distribution thing yeah. bounce around it in several different ways make your way up two floors and then go back south again yeah so there's a lot of kind of extended verticality almost it's uh and it's just a platformer but uh it was really, really nice to play and there's no combat in it to the degree that well there is but you if you see an enemy the trick is to find a way to land on them in a way to either take them out immediately or la approach them a certain angle that you can grab their gun quickly strafe people drop the gun and then keep moving because the idea is that a gun would slow you down you just keep moving yeah, and you do, and you do move noticeably slower when you have it. Mm. Um, and then I got the sequel because I was like, oh, I've got the big projector. I want it just something that I can completely turn my brain off. Like the the story in that is to the degree that it's there if you want it, but if not, you just keep moving. Like I think I think you are literally a messenger. I think the idea is that in the future, um, you know, information is key, and you're running around on rooftops because you're delivering like USB keys to people and data, and then yeah, that's it. Yeah. Then suddenly you're in the resistance. Um, the second one starts and it's an Ubisoft game and they, it really, really feels like they just did a cookie cutter um, Assassin's Creed or Watch Dogs or something where they went, look at this giant map we've given you. Look at all the collectibles. Look at all the things you can do. Look at all the missions you can do. Look at all the people you can talk to. And I was like, cool, so where do I run? And I was like, anywhere you want. And I was like, fuck you. This is the worst experience I could possibly have. How yeah. dare you suggest this is an open like, world game? And that's the thing. I think when, like, if if you had gotten the new Assassin's Creed or the new Watch Dogs, you would have expected it and it would have been cool. Let's yep. go. Absolutely. But the fact that it's like the previous game was very much you had missions, they were timed, and they and it was one of those games that obviously, the, the, it, like, it was the closest I think a casual player has ever gotten to experiencing a proper speedrun game. Mm. 
where it's that whole thing like it's just kind of popped up in the head because Awesome Games Done Quick was on last week right right and like Awesome Games Done Quick is basically a charity thing where they raise millions every year where they they take they rent a hotel it's streamed online to hundreds mm. of thousands of people and people can do donations and they get professional well not professional but like they get the, the world record holders and speedrunners in to do these speedruns in front of live audiences mm. and give feedback and explain what they're doing and like if you're if you actually if you're aware of what they were a lot of people weren't because it was quite an underground thing for a long time but if you're aware of what they were when you first encounter mirror's edge you're like this is just a speed run yep this is actively encouraging me to be a speedrunner. so it and i actually really like that it kind of it, that aspect of it. it'd be the equivalent of if there was a racing game series that you really liked you're like oh i'm playing burnout there's a new burnout game if you started it and the car just pulls out of a garage and you're in a city and it's like just drive around and it's like why who am i racing doesn't matter you're like what the fuck are you trying to tell me to do what happens now yeah Whereas if someone told you that in a GTA game, you're like, okay. Yeah, that's, that makes Cause sense. Because you'd expect something to just happen organically as you're moving around in a GTA mm. game. Not, or, you know, the phone call or the pager will go off and you're like, oh, okay, now I'm getting, mm. I'm, I'm being given the signal that if I choose to opt into the story, now I can. Otherwise, I can continue to free roam. Yeah, it's, I, I get what you mean, but I, the, the one thing I really liked about the Mirror's Edge series was that um, in the age of, oh, like games are starting to go back to it now, but when the first one came out, everything had to be realistic which meant it was brown and gray yep and mirror's edges crystal clear blue skies azure blue skies yep. bright sunshine everything's white and gorgeous Every- everything is really pr- like bright clean very like futuristic aesthetic but it's all it's not like a dreary future it's a very kind of mm. it's a vibrant area to be running around in it is and it, and it was kind of a visual refresher as well when it came out which I really liked it was a palette cleanser it was super nice that, again that's if I'm going to be if you're going to give me a game where I'm just sprinting through environments like make it nice make it a nice place to be like I, I genuinely um, played uh, Firewatch just walk around going this is fucking nice and I, I played so many indie games where it was pixel art and I was like I honestly this one look there's a sunset I'm going to walk towards that this is beautiful I'm going to see if I can find a spot on the mountain and have a look around yeah um, if I'd all if I made billions tomorrow and I was gonna uh, finance a video game sequel, uh, I would get in touch with the guys at Double Fine and see if they have any appetite to do a Brutal Legend two. Because they always want. I don't think they do because they're currently working on what you call it. Was it? They're currently working on Psychonauts two. Are they? That'd be. Um, that's a... Oh yeah, that got Kickstarted and it's in full oh, production. Kickstarted. Um, they never go quite well. The Kickstarter ones. Well, no, like it's it's this. Uh, it actually seems to be like if anyone has learned from Kickstarter uh, Kickstarter mistakes, it's Tim Schafer. Mm. Um, but yeah. Um, but anyway, he even like he, one of the lads from from Funhouse is doing a voice in it and everything else. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, so it is definitely happening. He never for the brutal legend one. He never got the guys from um, Iron Maiden on board. He said they're the last holdouts. Um, I'd love to do. I'd love to do a brutal legend where it's like they they have to travel and a good portion of the game is set in British like kind of heavy metal scene. Um, anyway, that that would be my dream. But honestly, if they're doing, I thought you were going to say that the person flying the plane was Bruce Dickinson, considering <laughs> he's a pilot. That is true. Yes. So uh, cool. Um, yeah, that's that. That'd be for games. What about uh, TV? Johnny, what was your team? Oh, thank you. Yeah, oh, <laughs> you pandered to me so beautifully. <laughs> uh, the TV one, again, these, these tropes can kind of go for any of them. Um, but the, the kind of one that has come up recently is the sequel gap. The big fucking gap between uh, the last time 
like for a direct sequel the last time you were doing something and then the, the next the next one so Jurassic World in movies had a 14 year gap since uh, Jurassic Park 3 um, or The Lost World everyone's last one uh, Blade Runner had a 35 Three. year gap um, and then for uh, TV shows recently or for TV shows uh, the one that was the, the most striking to me growing up was uh, Star Trek that the last I think it ended in 69 the original series and then started up again in 1987 so they call it the next generation yeah 67 to 69 or 66 to 69 the, I think it was like 18 20 years between them like that is literally a generation they called it the next generation which is which is nicely mm-hmm. done uh, well that was more because when it first came out it was kind of a flop and it wasn't until like a game cult success mm. uh, afterwards through syndication then they did the films because of the popularity of the syndication and the films are early 90s like their late 70s to early uh sorry late 70s to early 80s mm. and that's what kind of led up to the next generation because they were like there's actually a market for that there, there. and uh, so it was it, it was very much like a business well, motivated decision now, and speaking of syndication this now we're seeing that weird resurgence of things are getting popular on netflix and suddenly getting remakes and sequel like direct a new season after 20 years 30 years like the full house guys and the ill-fated roseanne that just came back and died again uh, in fact no it's it's been continued in a in a form it's been continued without it's been roseanne continued as the connors yes yeah. i've heard that um i just read an entire article about the guy who had to get the couch right for the the remake because obviously these things are complete um completely following on so there's someone whose job is to get the couch right for Roseanne. There's somebody whose job was to watch every episode of Full House and make the set perfectly to what it was back in the day. Because this again is pure nostalgia porn. Um, I'll get my I'll get my Twin Peaks shout out as well with the the 25 year gap between season uh, the end of season two and season three because in in one of the episodes of season two they say I'll see you again in 25 years. So that was a that was a nice little touch. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be 25 years. I reckon it's going to be about two. Yeah. Uh, two to three and then he's going to do another season yeah probably I think he's because he's already said he's like certain things have kind of like people not just occurred to him but people working on it have kind of got oh what have you have you thought about doing this with this part of the story mm. with this kind of loose end and he's kind of like oh that's actually kind of interesting so it's actually nice to see that he is considering the feedback of others as well that's the one thing I never got that impression particularly with David Lynch it's like like people always go it's his vision and it's his creation and I think that's just because oh, no. you know you can only you can only have so many insane people running around the set <laughs> Yeah. But also, I think it's more that, like, um, I never got the impression that he was unwilling to listen to others and that he was unwilling to take back, to take on the feedback of, of the people he was working oh, with. Oh, absolutely. And, I, and it's nice to see because you, you hear about it sometimes with other creatives that they're like, no, only what I do, only what I say goes. And you're like, eh, don't be a dick. I, I have to assume that he's sitting with Dennis Hopper or Naomi Watts or Kyle MacLachlan or whoever and, like, talking about what their characters could do. Because there's no way he just randomly made that character for Dennis Hopper and then turned to him and goes, yeah, happy to do this. Dennis Hopper must have been sitting there trying to push it further and further. Same with Naomi Watts going, like in Mulholland Drive, going, we're going to do a scene where this, this and this happens. She's like, oh, I can go much further than that. Like, if if he just asked her to do it, it'd be weird. If she's like, oh, I can do this, then it's suddenly a really interesting way of making the movie. Yeah, or you let them suggest something and then he extrapolates it further because yeah. they're already roughly in a comfort zone then and then it's like, well, what if we just kind of amp it up to this? Yeah. Um, but but I, I like that about him. I think that's kind of good about it. it. Now, I might be completely wrong, but that's kind of the impression you get from the like the way he works. You kind of get that impression of mm. him. Uh, you'd mentioned previously that there was... Um, we'll probably do a separate episode on spin-offs maybe, but... Uh, f- I don't know if there's enough. Eh, yeah, we could In see. a weird way, like... 
in terms of games you can get the occasional one in terms of films it's very uncommon hey man we're doing this stuff for a year of... we're gonna be scraping the bottom of the barrel soon let's see let's <laughs> <laughs> i can only think of maybe like two spin-off films uh, that were actually in any way successful or good hey there's only two of us we'll do one each um anyway on the on the, <laughs> the idea of tv shows uh frazier of course is one of my favorite ones xena mm. was my favorite spin-off of all time um, I used to watch Hercules: The Legendary Journeys, um, and then when Xena came Kevin out, Kevin Sorbo. That, when Xena came out, they what a man. they just nailed the tone. I think. Um, is is that your TV series? Is that like you preferred the spinoff to any reboot? The TV series I am going to talk about is Blackadder. Okay. Because that's an interesting choice. The second season, the first season, they had a lot of money going. It was um, is it Richard, Richard Curtis? Um. Uh, and Ron Atkinson and a, a bunch of people made this medieval kind of comedy um, and it is such a funny one for the second season because it is a direct obviously it's a season two so it's a sequel to season one but it's also a reboot and they had no money to make it like their their budget was slashed so they had like nearly no um, outdoor scenes in the entire thing but they redid all their characters they basically said this guy is the great great grandson of the original Blackadder um, and now mm. it's in Elizabethan times. We'll change. We'll we'll kind of keep the the rough premise, and we'll keep the rough character relationships, but we'll we'll keep changing the characters. Um, and I think that's a really nice way of doing it. It's not quite a sequel. It's not quite a um, like a reboot or anything like that. But it was a good way of saying, all right, we're on to something here. Um, let's let's keep that going. And it means that by doing that, then for every uh, season after that, Black Hour the Third, Black Hour goes forth. It gives the kind of the various comedians a lot of opportunity to to play different characters, stretch their stretch their muscles, and we get people like Hugh Laurie being the prince for one season, and um, yeah, Stephen yeah, yeah. Fry being the what's the Melchit? Yeah, General Melchit in Black Goes for us. Oh, he's so good, and he's Lord. He's just Lord Melchit in uh, in uh, Blackadder II. Yeah, um, Blackadder II. I, I think honestly that. Second and fourth might be my favorite ones. I think I remember the second so fondly. Um, the ending, the fourth one's heartbreaking. It is. I think we talked about it in our endings episode. Or um, yeah. we do an endings episode. We talked about it in some episode. Um, it is yeah. astoundingly heartbreaking. Well done, them. Um, yeah, and the fact they even got some jokes out of it mm. when when he does the you know the Great War, nineteen fourteen to nineteen sixteen, and you're like, oh Jesus, like it was just yeah, it it, it just works so well. Mm. Um, uh, what was your what was your choice of a of TV show, and then I'll talk about a couple of ones I really didn't like. Um, uh, despite everything, the way you can, it's kind of been maligned lately about what was going on behind the scenes, or could have been going on behind the scenes. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV series oh, from yes. is of course was originally a film in nineteen from nineteen ninety two. Yep, so it is a it reboot. Have, That's very interesting. Yeah it's a reboot into a t- into a different format um, and it like the original film had like Donald Sutherland and Rooker Herrer and mm. Hilary Swank and Pee Wee Herman is in it well Paul Rubens but he, I don't think he's Pee Wee Herman but he's in it you know what I mean and it's like considering how good a TV series it was when it came in for what it was trying to be it's very much aimed at mm. young adults but it, it had a level of quality that you didn't really see in other series at that time you know and the fact that it was tri- it was I mean, like, if there was no Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we have no Supernatural. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, 
Now, I think Supernatural has done a better version in the long run, but I th- but Buffy kind of holds up because like when that came out, I was fourteen. Yeah, and I remember growing up and watching it and following it, and then like being, and like just the little nods. Like there's an episode at the start of season six where Spike goes to get his soul back, and the way that they constantly seeded references for youth all the way through it. So there's a bit where he goes to get his soul back, and it was broadcast on I think it was the the anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death. Right. It was like the 10 year anniversary of his death and there's literally like one of the things that Spike says before he goes to fight the, this demon is like he puts his fist up and he's like here we are now entertain us. There's <laughs> little stuff like that yeah. and I'm like yeah great and like it was constantly just peppered throughout the whole thing and it was like it, it was probably the first TV series I remember being aimed at you know teenagers and young adults that didn't treat them that didn't dumb the language down that mm. didn't dumb the topics down it dealt with depression it dealt with like suicidal thoughts it dealt with harassment and very much ahead of its time in, in some ways because this was normally the type of thing we don't talk about that it dealt with same sex relationships yeah, yeah. and stuff like that and it, like at a time when the majority of TV would have been like oh no 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 we don't we, we don't mention that you I, know what I mean I, I wonder um, and the spin-off Angel I think is one, one of my favourite spin-offs as well mm, yes because I really it kind like of the, the character the character was very one-dimensional in Buffy, and then once they kind of let him out on his own, it just became a lot more interesting. Uh, I think so. I think it benefited from being a movie that was now people know it. I like if there would if there had been no TV show, it would have been forgotten forevermore. Um, Buffy yeah, lost the time. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think it benefited from having a movie to kind of, you know, shake out the hands and make sure like make sure the the joke was funny enough and if they hadn't done that the first season might have been might have gone a different direction where they're trying to make it too schlocky or something um mm. yeah that's super interesting that they that they kind of got a little bit of a head start in that into the season into the series for it being a reboot yeah it just it, it, you know i just think it, it holds up mm. um and yes there, some shit has come to light because of uh what's his face whedon um whedon whedon the philanderer mm. Um, it's such a weird it's such a weird one that when someone said Whedon I was like oh no not him too what about it not him too um, he's like and he was cheating his wife I was like okay that's oh, that's terrible but like at least he's like honestly there's a hierarchy of bad shit going on there yes uh, yeah no I think it was more just because for years he's been held up as uh, and he's kind of propagated himself as being very much a, a, a feminist yeah and being like all about female empowerment and then people are like but then you're treating your wife like shit yeah yeah, just put a new lens you know. on it. Yeah. Um, on the uh, on kind of sequels and reboots that are just unquestionably bad. Uh, I did watch recently with a bunch of people the oh the mist. No, not the mist. <laughs> the mist was fine. The mist. Get, Fuck off. The mist was. The mist was awful. The mist was made for me. The mist. It was like, hey, look, there's a <laughs> there's functionally uh, a stealth sequel to Silent Hill going on. Where people walk around in a fog and bad shit haunts them, and I'm like, oh, awesome! Hey man, if Pyramid Head had shown up in the last episode, that would have been it. I would have like take my money. Uh, no, the worst things I was looking at was the IT Crowd uh, American reboot. Oh God, yeah. And it's oh, I think the first episode of it. I don't know how many they did is up on YouTube, and it is uh, the guy who played Jeff Winger from Community, uh, Josh. Is it John, uh, John McHale? Is it Joel McHale? Am I, am I getting confused? It is Joel McHale. No. Is playing um, the main dude is playing uh, um, Chris O'Dowd's Chris character. character. They have 
random blonde dude, uh, random blonde lady as Jen, and I like just playing it all wrong. Um, and they keep Richard Ayoade as Moss. Um, they tried this as well with Red Dwarf, just this American sequel, yep. and you're just like, oh my god, the the trying to keep the English and Irish humor, uh, and just do a straight translation seems so mean. It comes across so horrible and mean, and it. Uh, like the the IT crowd has an element of insanity and surrealism where the boss mm-hmm. Chris Morris's character is absolutely insane like he walks Jen through the uh, the company on the first day and is completely insane at one point they open a door and there's like a, a same sex or a yeah a unisex bathroom and just two people are having sex like that's what we are here a bunch of attractive people having sex all the time and she's like, amazing. Yeah. And then he brings her down to the depths of the, the building and she's stuck in the IT department. And they do that in the American one um, where he like, all right. And he also fires someone over the phone. <laughs> Just absolutely gives someone a bollock and is like, if he doesn't know what to do, then he's fired and hangs up the phone. Um, and then in the American one, they do all that and they kind of, they pull every punch. They don't do the sex joke. The bit where he goes, you know, if you, someone can't do their job, they're fired. And he's like, he goes, good luck, Jen. Then they have the, the the boss character pick up the phone again and go, obviously that person's not fired. I was just trying to scare the new girl. And then he pangs up again and is like, why would you pull that punch? Why wouldn't you just have him be completely insane? The, the one thing I don't understand is that, like, I don't know, maybe it was just a timing thing. Chris O'Dowd is quite well known in America. Yeah. I don't see why they just couldn't broadcast it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you why not I mean? cast him in the remake? And I'm like, yeah, that would be... Wait, no, you're absolutely right. No, just, no, no, no. Just show the original. Just 100% like, broadcast it. Like, that's the other thing. Monty Python is beloved in America. Mm. Oh. It's not like they can't understand the accents or they don't appreciate British humour. Stuff like that and Red Dwarf, like the, the actual original Red Dwarf, is still kind of like... It's 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 a little bit underground, so but it was like that in in the UK and Ireland as well. Yeah. But it's like the people who know it fucking love it, and it's like you don't have to recast these things. <laughs> you could you could but you're buying the license rights. Just buy the distribution rights and save yourself some money. I think <laughs> I have to suspect it's because the Office was uh, became popular and it was like yeah they, maybe they know that British shows run for uh, six episodes a season, then they run for three seasons, and that's it. Like that's the standard yeah. thing. I think by trying to redo it, they basically say, right, the first episodes will be the first six episodes will just be their season one script, and then we'll do twenty episodes in the first season, and then we'll just mm. like we'll start similar and then take it like as far as we can. Yeah, I don't know without the idea of somebody taking on Graham Linehan's writing and and like con- trying to continue in that vein just seems like a losing battle. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I just yeah, I say it's probably the office. Then now that you mention it, it's kind of the only thing I can think of because, you know what I mean? It's it, it worked fine on its own. It worked fine in its delivery. Mm. It worked exceptionally well in its delivery. Like and very much that was down to the cast. Yeah, like you know, having characters who are known for playing just surrealist out there people, and it's like you're going to be the boss, and the boss is a lunatic. Yep. It's like, okay. Well, that's it. They didn't pull that's, their punches. The boss is a lunatic. It's a Tuesday, that's a Tuesday for him. Yep. Like, you know, that's the, Chris Mars has, has done that in so many things. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like, what if the guy who did Brass Eye was given a company to run and then did lots of cocaine? <laughs> the, okay. the scene where he jumps out the window is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> because they start the new season, no, the, they start the new season, and he's still the boss. But obviously, like, he yeah. must have, they must have agreed that he wasn't going to be anymore. The idea that he came back for one episode, and instead of, like, 
jumped out the window. Disappearing off into the sunset. He just gets a phone call from from um, internal affairs or police or something. And he goes, one second. And puts the phone down, opens the window, and does this and weird jumps. pogo out where he kind of like, t- his jump is so good. There's the, <laughs> I just love the, the bit at the funeral. And he said, I don't know what to say. It's like, just say, I'm sorry for your loss and move on. Okay. And he goes, I'm sorry for your loss. Now move on. <laughs> <laughs> and they just off. Like, that's amazing. Oh, like, that's, that's great. It's so well done. But yeah, yeah that's definitely like it's, it's definitely a good one. In terms of like, is there any TV series you'd like to see redone? Uh, like older TV yes, series. Uh, again, it's a really old medium. So is there something that you know? Uh, there's ones actually. Um, I was looking at uh, looking up stuff that is in the kind of works and Alien Nation, something that we talked about on a previous episode, is looking to be oh, rebooted Alien at this Nation. stage, which would be super interesting. Um, because now obviously we've had Battlestar Galactica and um, Westworld and a bunch of other uh, sci-fi things in the meantime that I think they they wouldn't they wouldn't have to shy away from it they could go full allegory with it uh, so that's an interesting one um, I see they're also redoing a Twilight Zone thing and that's fine I don't mind like they seem to yeah it's more of a because it's an anthology thing I yeah. think it's, it's very much you can kind of do what you want with it with every season and it's actually a good thing to do because a lot of writers got their start yeah. on shows like that or they used to back in the day I wouldn't. so it's a good way of kind of just like we're gonna it feels like they didn't do one 10 years ago because you had stuff like Master of Horrors yep Master of Horrors and Master Outer of Horrors which is very which is very much kind of like we're going to show you similar things it's you have a group of writers are going to come along they're each going to do their own story and move yep. on and yeah the Twilight Zone could kind of like kind of does that anyway so do Twilight Zone I, I'd love to see a Tales from the Crypt uh, kind of come back where it's or an Elvira or something where uh, a wacky character introduces bits because uh, the, uh, the Crypt Keeper yeah the, there are certain there were there were um, Tales from the Crypt spin-off movies that were fantastic Demon Knight with Billy Zane is one of the funniest movies yes it is such a, <laughs> yes. it's such a good movie I, I think we should we need something like The Twilight Zone or Tales from the Crypt where we can start getting um, young lads and I young think, ladies writing this stuff I think we kind of have like Black Mirror is kind of there, but it's, it's all written by Charlie. It's literally Brooker. all written he by Charlie. He needs to Brooker. start opening that yeah. up. And don't get me wrong; he's an excellent writer. He does an excellent job yeah. with that series. It's fantastic, but it's. I, I don't think I've ever watched an episode and gone, "Well, that's kind of shit." Yeah. Of every episode, I've been, yeah, it's actually really good, and he obviously gets a great range of actors and mm. actresses on it as well. But we need, and I think it's, we need shockingly different it, tones, though. We need to be watching a Tales from the Crypt, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, this yeah, one's yeah, just yeah. pure okay. schlock, and the next one's like cosmic horror. I was more just going to say, like, with, with, with Black Mirror, it feels like rather than it being a, ser- a varied series of writers and actors, mm. um, it, this seems to be like you have one consistent high level of writing. And obviously he has a writer's room. Yeah, he yeah. Said, said as much. But you have one, like, overseer of the, of the writing, and it's a consistently high quality. Well, and then uh, you have very good actors coming in, but a lot of them, it might be their first or second big thing ever. Mm. And it's actually quite good because it's supporting a lot of new up-and-coming talent in that they know what the quality of writing is going to be like. Can you imagine being working on something like The Outer Limits or, Twi- or Twilight Zone or whatever, and, and you have hopes and you have potential to be a good, a good actor or actress, yep. but the episodes you get cast in has shit writing, Yeah, and there's only so much you can do with it. Like, so I actually kind of like the way there's a standard, there's a kind of a bar set already on that series, and then it's just the actors, can they come in and can they live up to the writing and can they can they yeah can can they work really with it to 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 what it needs like so but I I watched it's, the Twilight Zone yeah. and before that there was uh, the Night Gallery and they were both overseen by Rod Serling and he he mm-hmm. wrote a good chunk of the episodes as well but he was that yeah. 
that overseer. I think if Charlie Brooker started opening it up and did a season where it was other writers pitching, but he just kept the the kind of bones of it together, that would be really, really yeah. nice. Charlie Brooker presents. I don't even think it needs to be presents. It could just be like the the. I don't even think they need, like as long as he's like always on it as like as a lead writer Charlie Brooker mm. but then like and that's on the series credit but on the episode credit it might be original screenplay by and it yeah, gives yeah. the person who wrote it so mm -hmm. at least then people can see this guy has good ideas mm. um, and it's like because uh, then it kind of provides a good platform for um, for like that for like these writers who are like you almost have potential and it also gives someone because Netflix are producing that and because Netflix are producing so much original content, they could get someone who comes to them with a script and they're like, it's not quite there, mm. but we have a place for hey, it. Hey, this is the... And we're going to wasn't supposed to be to a sequel uh, trope. We, you can absolutely just start collecting those scripts and saying, hey, there's a, there's a bunch of good 40-minute episodes of stuff here. Yeah, and, and, and like they go over and they work with the, the crew that are on Black Mirror and you have Charlie Brooker helping with the writing and he becomes like this mentor almost. Because it, to, be fair, to be fair, I wouldn't feel that bothered if, you know, I, I wouldn't see it as a bad thing if more people were writing to his standards. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? So, and they, they film all that, over the world. Yeah. It's not it, like he, yeah. that could actually be something that works. Oh man. Uh, I had one, one last one that I'd love to see. Someone but you, get Netflix on the phone. Yeah. Uh, what was anything you want to see uh, remade or rebooted? I'm not actually sure. I, I mean, the one I would have said if you had asked me like ten years ago was The Prisoner. Yeah. But they did a reboot in 2009, and it wasn't great. It was a mini series, and yeah. it spe specifically only aimed for a couple of episodes, and it wasn't great. So, it was, uh, but I just had, I was such a big fan of the original. I remember mm. growing that up, like as a kid. I remember going to where it's filmed, and like loving the 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 like the town is all still done up like it and all the rest and it was just yeah I, I don't know it, it was a very kind of weird series I remember watching mm. and part of me that while I would like to see it I think it needs to get proper treatment because again growing up like BBC2 used to run a ton of reruns in the afternoon between 3 and 6 or 3 and 7 they'd run reruns um, because the primetime stuff was happening on BBC1 mm. and then the news would be on BBC1 and then BBC2 they just run episodes of stuff so that's where they used to do reruns of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, mm. or um, the original Doctor Who stuff, and then when they when they said they were bringing back Doctor Who, I was really excited because I remember watching all the originals. And then Doctor Who came back, and I'm like, was, "Why does it still look shit? Yeah. Why why are you purposely?" And people are like, "Oh, it's part of the appeal." I'm like, "It's not not to me. <laughs> the appeal is the interesting stories, the interesting characters, and these weird worlds that they were going to. Yeah, and these weird weird scenarios, and you could do more with that." And then I was just kind of like, this feels really bad. And if, like, to be honest, like that, that kind of formula of like, we have been dropped in a situation because something has been changed or we're in an alternate timeline or we're in like, what if, so, what if one thing was changed and mankind evolved differently on this planet because of this? And then I realized that shows like Stargate were already doing that, but better. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I was like, I'm just going to go watch Stargate because Stargate's actually treating this. It's like, what if this culture had never died out? What would the modern world look like? What if there was only two nations and they were constantly at war with each other and they were threatening nuclear war? Like, what if they took the Cold War to the extreme? Yeah. Like, there was all these type of episodes in Star Trek. Uh, in Star, Star Trek. And then it was like... Star there was, Trek and Star Trek had it to an element. Star Trek had it to an element. But, uh, to, sorry, to a degree. But it was kind of one of the core things within Stargate. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, yeah, okay. And I actually kind of... I, I, went, I got really put off um, watching the, the kind of... When they brought back 
Doctor Who, I felt kind of sh- I was like, oh, I, can't, I, mean, I have to believe that was for a new well. audience because I don't, I, I don't know what it was. It seemed to be just lots of young people getting involved in that. But no, no, but it, that doesn't even bother me. And it's like, like the writers have, have over the years have proven their chops on other stuff. And Stephen Moffat oh, going yeah. writing like d- he's on Sherlock, Sherlock now. Like yeah. But like for me, it was more just a case of like they're going on about how this is the biggest show that they produce year on year, and it's like why does it still look like it was made in someone's shed? Yeah, they're. I mean, they're clearly doing it on purpose, and it is. It is to your taste whether you like that or not. I'm. I wouldn't mind the campy, shitty B movie style, honestly, if the dialogue was a little bit better. And I think Stephen Moffat writes good dialogue, but sometimes he's doing something, and I'm like such pandering. I fe- I can feel him looking directly at me and going, "Ha, this is for you." I'm like, ah. Oh, Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's it's weird. Like, it's... I'll, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I fully... I, I am glad that a lot of people have gone back and discovered the originals because of the new ones. Mm. I love the originals. And the, Twitch are doing a thing at the moment where they're showing all of the originals. Mm. The, like, you want to Twitch from page... All of the original Doctor Who's? The, all all the ones that lost. weren't lost. Yeah. Some of them were recorded over. Hilarious. But, the, like, all the ones that they have are up on twitch and they're sh- they're showing them now mm. like the way they did with the bob ross stuff and all uh, that yes um but yeah uh, i don't know like the, I, i'm kind of somewhat reserved about them remaking anything now because of like my inclination is that they're either going to try and super mod- hyper modernize it and by hyper modernizing it like it's weird like if you look at shows like um like the prisoner is a good example the prisoner is very much a show about individualism mm. and about mm. being able to self-determine what you want to be able to do now that is quite relevant even nowadays but just because of like various shit going on around the world but i feel that the writers might start twisting it too much or they might try and they might be trying to bend over backwards to not offend everyone while staying yeah. relevant and it's like in in my mind i think the handmaid handmaid's tale is kind of doing now what the prisoner did back yeah, then yeah that makes sense it's updated it but because they're not trying to hold to an old series, yes, there's the book, but they're not trying to hold to like a massive resource of original material. Again, it's like it's, there's a small restriction there with the book, but there's not enough that they're constantly trying. Mm. Oh, we have to have this not in because it was in one of the episodes, and that episode was a big fan favorite. And we got to yeah. have this in. So, yeah, it's I don't know. I'll uh, I'll pitch you one. Then. Nothing jumps out. I'll pitch you one then because I I speaking of spinoffs and stuff, I was looking at the fact that people were doing they're doing more Game of Thrones spinoffs that aren't based on the books, and they're going to be. Um, it, you know the fans are clamoring for it I have no interest in that I don't want to see more Game of Thrones I would love to see a Dune TV series because they tried to do the movie I don't think they've ever tried to do a Dune TV series and I think it could be as big as Game of Thrones I think that if it is as it, it depends on how much of the story you're willing to cover because there is about 10,000 years of story that, set before the book the, before the film well this I mean they have that much um, of Game of Thrones lore as well and that much of Lord of the Rings lore before and after they can pick up at any point they can they can make it for TV and because it's like long form because they can keep it going for years and do big long episodes they can jump back and forward if they want they could actually go back to yeah I suppose ye olde days there's one thing I, actually I just I thought of something but it's not really a, it's not really a reboot mm. or a remake it's more of a continuation like this whole thing you're saying that they wait 10 years before they do the next one mm. I'd love to see them go back and do seasons three and four of Carnival. Oh, yes, of course. Because Carnival was originally meant to be three volumes, and each volume was two seasons, and they finished the first two, and it was cancelled due to low numbers, yeah. but it has achieved like a cult status since. 
and I think if they went back in and they were like, okay, it's been 10 or 15 years, let's go back and do it again. This has been a lovely nostalgic episode of us rattling through some of our classics, actually. <laughs> like, it kind of works the, for the a one-year anniversary. The sequel has to have some callbacks, you know? yeah. There you go. Yeah, and for a one-year anniversary, like, I, I just, but I think that could, could work because I think the original plan was to jump 11 or 13 years, I can't remember the exact mm. amount, before doing the next one. That's really good. So maybe they could go back and do it. Like, Hey, I mean, this is, put stick it up on Netflix, get a fan following. What's well, HBO? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 they won't. But it's on HBO Go. If you have HBO Go in the States, they have all their series always on. Mm. And you can just watch them whenever. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Cool. And there's nothing else that jumps out. No. Nope. Uh, have your homework? I have scribbled that. Watch, watch Sicario. No, I, I wrote that down and I scribbled out all my homework because I just wrote Johnny to write, direct, and produce Silent Hill for The Room, the movie. Because that, <laughs> that is what I'm doing now. I am while I'm talking to you, I'm on I'm on another tab buying a black wig. I'm gonna absolutely do Silent Hill for the room, the movie. Okay. Oh hi. <laughs> cool. And on that note. Oh hi, Pyramid Head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take it easy guys. See you now. Have fun. Take care. That's our show. Remember to check us out on Facebook. Twitter, and now YouTube. We are at Dystropia Podcast.